hello, and welcome to Things That Make You Go Woo. I'm your host, Emily Barnard, also known as Emily and Her Stars. I'm a medium, an astrologist, an Akashic Records reader, an artist, and an all-around just silly and curious gal. In this podcast, I'll be sharing the things and people I find fascinating, funny, and inspirational. Things that I hope will certainly make you go woo, too. Hello, everyone. Before I jump into today's interview, I wanted to take a moment and share the story of the Salem Witch Trials for any of you that might not be as familiar with its history. Let me set the stage here a little bit. It's spring 1692 in Salem Village, which is a farming community just outside the bustling seaport of Salem. Now, Salem Village, what is present-day Danvers, Massachusetts, was known for its fractious population. It had many internal disputes and disputes between the village and Salem town. Arguments about property lines, grazing rights, and church privileges were extreme. Neighbors considered the population quarrelsome. In June of 1689, Samuel Paris was hired as the minister of the Salem Village Church after three prior ministers did not work out. He agreed to a similar pay with extra provisions, but by October of the same year, he managed to increase his provisions by being granted the deed to his parsonage, as well as the land. This conflicted directly with a 1681 village resolution, which stated that It shall not be lawful for the inhabitants of this village to convey the houses or lands or any other concerns belonging to the ministry to any particular person or persons, not for any cause by vote or other ways. Reverend Paris increased the village's divisions by delaying his acceptance for the offer. He did not seem to be able to settle his new parishioners' disputes, about whether or not he should be allowed to own the church and the land. But by deliberately seeking out inquisitous behavior in his congregation and literally making church members who were in good standing suffer public penance for small infractions, he contributed significantly to the tension within the village. In January 1692, nine-year-old Elizabeth Paris and 11-year-old Abigail Williams, so this would be the daughter and niece of Samuel Paris, the minister. These girls began having fits, including violent contortions and an uncontrollable screaming outbursts. After a local doctor, William Griggs, diagnosed bewitchment, other young girls in the community began to exhibit similar symptoms. In late February, arrest warrants were issued for Samuel Paris's own Caribbean slave, Tituba, along with two other women, including the homeless beggar Sarah Good and the poor and elderly Sarah Osborne, whom the girls accused of bewitching them. The three accused witches were brought before the magistrates, Jonathan Corwin and John Hawthorne, and questioned. Even as their accusers appeared in the courtroom in a grand display of spasms, contortions, screaming, and writhing. Though Good and Osborne denied their guilt, Tichuba confessed, likely seeking to save herself from certain conviction by acting as an informer. She claimed 
There were other witches acting alongside her in service of the devil against the Puritans. As hysteria spread through the community and beyond into the rest of Massachusetts, a number of others were accused, including Martha Corey and Rebecca Nurse, both regarded as upstanding members of the church and community, and the four-year-old daughter of Sarah Good. Like Tituba, several accused witches confessed and named still others, and the trial soon began to overwhelm the local justice system. In May of 1692, the newly appointed governor of Massachusetts, William Phipps, ordered the establishment of a special court of Oyer to hear and Terminer to decide on witchcraft cases for Suffolk, Essex, and Middlesex counties. Presided over by judges including Hawthorne, Samuel Sewell, and William Stoughton, the court handed down its first conviction against Bridget Bishop on the 2nd of June, and she was hanged just eight days later on what would become known as Gallows Hill in Salem Town. Five more people were hung that July, five in August, and eight more in September. Seven other accused witches died in jail, while the elderly Giles Corey, who was Martha's husband, was pressed to death by stones after he refused to enter a plea at his arraignment. This is the part of history you may have heard about in school, the trials. More than 200 people were accused, 19 were hung, 14 women and 5 men, and one man pressed to death by stones. Mass witch hysteria. In January 1697, the Massachusetts General Court declared a day of fasting for the tragedy of Salem witch trials. The court later deemed the trials unlawful, and the leading justice Samuel Sewell publicly apologized for his role in the process. The damage to the community lingered, however, even after Massachusetts Colony passed legislation restoring the good names of the condemned and providing financial restitution to their heirs in 1711. So now that I've set the stage, I want to share today's guest with you. Jamie Day is a friend and a fellow medium, and her connection to Salem and its history is why I wanted to bring her on today. So let's please welcome Jamie. I am so excited to share today's guest with you. You may know her from Instagram as Medium Jamie Day. She has such amazing video content and I love her posts. She's just one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram. And I invited her on today to discuss something that I don't think gets enough realistic coverage. <laughs> in today's day and age. And so without any further ado, I want to introduce Jamie. And so Jamie, who are you? What's your woo-woo superpower? Oh, first of all, thank you for having me. You are so sweet and so cute. And thank you so much. Um, so I, like you, am a medium. I, that's, I would say, the bulk of what I do. Um, I like to joke and say, I see, I see dead people. That's what I do for a living. <laughs> So I give readings and I also teach mediumship development as well as just some more general spiritual development stuff, help people kind of starting out on their journey of connectedness. Love it. Yes. So I saw your post one day and you said, I need to talk to my relatives. And as a medium, it's very hard for us to talk to. I find it very hard to talk to my own people. <laughs> yeah, and I do too. And so you put out a post like, I need, is anybody out there? Any other mediums want to do it? And for whatever reason, I, I like instantaneously replied to you. It was an undeniable force. <laughs> and so I had so much fun connecting to your loved ones with you that day and, and just sharing some fun 
just great energy around them. I absolutely loved it. So that sort of started and spurred our friendship on a little bit more. Yeah. And thank you so much for that. You know, you helped me connect with my grandfather who had um, just recently passed prior to that. And, you know, the way I was, I was feeling my grandparents' presence all around me. It's different than sort of getting a reading, you know, even yeah. mediums like to get readings because there's just something special about being able to remove yourself from the pressure of it and just kind of <laughs> receive. Um, and I actually, that's one of the things that I teach is that it's harder to connect to your own past loved ones because we have expectations in our mind of what we think they would say or what we want them to say. And so it's really easy to talk yourself out of what you're receiving. Even if you're getting crystal clear communication, you're prone to not believe it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's too hard to do it for people I know. And yeah. Uh, anyway, so much fun. So part of why I wanted to have you on, of course, is I know you're into history like I am. <laughs> and when I found out your connection to Salem and Danvers and all things Salem Witch Trial, mm -hmm. I thought, who better for October than to, let's, for lack of a better word, set the record straight a little bit <laughs> on yeah. some of the craziness yeah, like that, that surrounds surrounds these legends. So I grew up in the mountains. You know, I was talking to you before, if people have questions about haunted mines and Victorian mansions and the unsinkable Molly Brown, like I'm your girl. <laughs> I can talk to you all day about that. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I did not grow up on the East Coast. So for me, East Coast history has always been, oh, it's legend, right? It's the right. idea of these larger than life stories. And so to talk to someone who's there in that energy, it's so different. So that's why I want you here today. <laughs> Yeah, so what is yeah. your family connection to Salem and Salem Village? So, I mean, it's no coincidence that you've been able to connect with my grandparents. Maybe that's part of what pushed you here today because my family actually has a pretty rich um, connection to the area. Rich, not financially, just meaning. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Um, you know, rich in history. Um, so my grandfather, actually just a little background, just so everybody who's listening is clear. If you are from say the Midwest and you don't already know this or, or wherever it is, Salem used to be a lot bigger and it was actually made up into, um, Salem town, which is what you would consider downtown Salem today. That was like the fishing port, kind of the city, the hub of activity. And then there was Salem village, which was comprised mostly of Danvers as well as the pieces of some surrounding communities. And that was more like sort of a poor rural farm country. Um, so Danvers, where I grew up, the town of Danvers is actually where the bulk of this stuff occurred. Salem proper <laughs> It's most of the credit for it because right. that's where the trials and the hangings were. And that's where all of the tourism exists now. Thankfully, I I'm grateful that I didn't grow up with the tourism in Danvers because <laughs> I lived in downtown Salem for many years. And I can tell you that it's busy. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> It's busy in October. Oh my goodness. It's busy. And I lived like in one of the most historic, I, I had two apartments in downtown Salem for a few years and um, they were both in incredibly historic districts, um, both one-way streets, both cobblestones. So getting in and out of town <laughs> this time of month is challenging. So. Just stay in for the month of October. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, residents pretty much do, you know, unless you work in tourism, you sort of avoid it. And, and even going to Salem state, like I remember I had a professor one time that was from, it was his first year and he was like, um, okay, so see you all, you know, tomorrow for class or whatever. And we were all like, um, 
no, you don't know how this works. Like you can't even get to campus. Like the roads are closed. I don't think you understand. No one will be here. Neither will you. Um, just kind of funny. So, so that is downtown Salem and that's what people think of it. But I grew up in Danvers where it's very, um, you know, it's not anymore, but at the time it was rural, it was farmland. And this is where the history of the witch trials really began and where most of the actual historic sites are today. It's just the town over. Um, and so if you were to come to Salem for a touristy, um, reason, you may want to find a local that knows what they're doing and hops you over to see the witch memorial that's in Danvers, the Rebecca Nurse House. Um, I would not recommend going to the Paris Foundation because it's in somebody's backyard. (laughs) It happens. They're used to it. They wouldn't be surprised, but, um, you know, that's a little awkward, right? Um, (laughs) just walking in with my cup of coffee. Oh, yeah. 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 So, the connection with my grandparents, um, my grandfather was a huge history buff. And when I say history buff, he dated his relatives all the way back to, um, the Mayflower and, you know, he wasn't kidding. Like we literally were pilgrims on his side. Um, and they're from Salem proper. They, they lived mostly in Salem. My grandmother's family dates back to Danvers. Um, 1626 is the earliest that I've found so far. I haven't gone further than that, but it looks like that's when we came over, um, from England on my grandmother's side. And she, you know, it's funny. I, I'm going to tell you, honestly, when I found this information out, right. The hope me as a medium, as someone who feels witchy, the hope is sort of like, Oh my God, I'm a descendant of the witches. This is it. Right. Got proof, like, right? right. Unfortunately, I actually think it's the other way around. <laughs> Um, so upon doing some research, um, my descendants were actually judges. Isn't that the irony, right? So now they, your energy is coming back and living on the other side of the, of the witch trial. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I don't know how much work they actually did in the witch trials because John Hawthorne was pretty much, you know, the primary judge that did that, um, which we can talk about him in a moment. Um, but you know, we were involved and I think, and not in the good way, we were probably the persecutors, not the persecuted. And it's unfortunate, but it it just pushes me, um, further to sort of want to, I guess, honor these innocent women and one man that were killed. And even dogs, even dogs, by the way, even dogs. dogs. I have never heard that. How is a dog accused of witchcraft? Um, yeah, they were too. I think, I think I've heard that it was two dogs, <laughs> oh um, said that they were possessing and biting and all of that. Was it just, um, dog days of summer and got a little hot, a <laughs> couple mad crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that's is... the thing of it is these women weren't witches, right? Right. right. So one of the major tales that I have heard is that we are now starting to believe this idea that it was toxic grain, right? There's this idea that the fungus was growing in the rye and everybody ate basically fermented rotten grain, which gives you hallucinations and all sorts of fun things and also explains maybe how it traveled through the village. What's Mm -hmm. your take on that? Um, I think it's totally possible. 
However, my actual belief is that it's a combination of all of the things. So my grandfather was incredibly into this stuff, right? So I grew up obviously being from town. It was part of our education in school. It was the local history, but my grandfather also was very involved in the history in town, like, like with people in town, everybody knew him. Um, and we had all of the stuff at home right? (laughs) The movies, (laughs) the books, the history. I mean, we had all of it. And so, um, I grew up really familiar with it. And the story that I was kind of always told growing up is that these girls uh, participated these in particular, it was two girls, the parish daughter, um, and one of her friends, Abigail, and she a niece or something. Yeah. Cousin. I think, I think they were cousins. Yeah. The girls were cousins, I think. Mm -hmm. And so they had a slave woman named Tichaba who, um, lived with them and she, she practiced, um, I want to say, I guess today we would probably say it was voodoo or hoodoo or something like that, but even shamanism or something. Right. We, there's no, there's no, um, I don't want to like pinpoint it too much because there's speculation on what it really could have been or where she was coming from or what she was doing, but it could have been something like you and I do, you know what I mean? Like I just did a new moon ritual. It could have been nothing. Perhaps these girls had a spiritual experience and it freaked them out. Mm -hmm. Perhaps she really was powerful and channeled some sort of entity, which, which caused their energy to freak out. And they, and they freaked out. What I've been told my whole life is basically that they got caught (laughs) (laughs) and for fear of getting in trouble because their father, the Paris house where this happened, he was the minister. He was the minister. He was the pastor. He was the reverend in town. Yeah. You can't They, they came here because they were puritanical and were, England wasn't religious enough for them. <laughs> right. And so now you've got, you know, someone performing something other than right. Puritan religion on your property with your children. You're not going to allow this to continue. Right. So, and then I think, you know, mass hysteria and believe Mm -hmm. me in the last few years, if I've seen the potential for mass hysteria come up again, you know what I mean? I'm not saying it's just, it's, we've got the potential there and you can clearly see it in the way some people behave nowadays. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One spark of misinformation can start a wildfire. Right. So what I think really happened to answer your question in the longest, most roundabout way, (laughs) I think it was probably a combination of all of that. I think there were probably a couple of people who were a little cuckoo nuts on the grain or something like that. Um, But it probably wasn't as big of a factor as just the paranoia, the religious fanaticalism. um, And Tichiba is sort of this, this iconic character that almost gets left out from anything other than the beginning of the story and the fact that she actually left she went back to the caribbean if i understand correctly and the fact that she wasn't persecuted in some way and that she fully admitted to yeah these are the things i do well she was spared because she confessed But then and she the had irony to of it is, yeah. they were all telling the truth, including <laughs> her. She's the only one who was performing the rituals. When none of them would confess to the witchcraft, they were also telling the truth. Oh, it was such a mess. Such a mess. Yeah. Okay. It was a really tragic time. And that's how we look at it in our history. There's a whole memorial with everybody's names. You know, it was definitely a tragic time in our history. Absolutely. So that's interesting because I had always questioned why she would confess. But the fact that she actually was, and I've heard she was Native American. I've heard she's, I mean, there's a thousand stories about even her heritage a little bit. Right. Correct. And 
so who I think knows the what local she was... history has her as like Haitian yes. or, or from the island somewhere. Okay. I, I've heard mostly Haitian. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. She so would have she had all sorts of because it was it, it was, was her religion, right? This is what she it was knew. Her religion, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the hysteria too they've talked about, and I think this is interesting tying into today's issues a little bit, was how much there was this fear. Here you have this Puritan community, and the French War has begun in Canada, and so you've got refugees fleeing and moving south. And so now you've got all of these people that have moved into town that aren't necessarily your ideal neighbor. (laughs) And so on top of it, you're brewing um, suspicion for who this person is, what they're bringing in. Are they living for free? Are they you know, participating in society. So I, I would like to touch on that if you have any ideas about the the conflicts that sort of came up with the the trouble with refugees, right? The idea of the us versus them. Yeah. Well, I also want to tell you that um, historically speaking, at that time there was a lot of illness circulating, um, and so I think probably part of that was being brought on the refugees, right? Blamed right. for that maybe, um, but that also contributed to the breeding of fear. You know, these were, I don't want to say it was the plague. I can't remember exactly the stuff that I had heard was circulating around, but um, they were pretty serious illnesses and a lot of people were concerned for themselves already. And so that fear between that and people coming to town that they weren't welcome, you know what I mean? (laughs) Um, It all just was a perfect breeding ground for one, it's like, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back and, and tensions were just so high mm-hmm. that people snapped. Oh my gosh. And I want to say, you know, oh, thank God the world's not like that anymore. But look. Right. How, yeah. How many generations down the road are we? And we're still, yeah, we still have right. lessons to learn. What would you say having grown up in the area? I know f- here in, in the Rocky mountains and, and the, I see generational damage from um, Latinos and Hispanic areas and from all sorts of, you know, labor camps and this sort of thing. What would you say the generational damage has been in Salem through the through the years? I mean, is there. So I actually want to instead of pointing out the damage, because it's certainly there, I actually want to praise Salem for being one of the most welcoming cities you could ever, ever go to. I mean, the mayor gets on board, the government is on board, the sidewalks are painted like rainbows, the church downtown has rainbow doors all on the front. Um, Salem is a safe haven for marginalized people, or at least it wants to be, it's tried to be. Salem is welcoming and inclusive to all. And they consider that to be the damage of the history. Do you know what I mean? People from Salem consider that to be the legacy that they wanna try and rebuild. People, Salem natives are very conscious of the history. I would say much more so than Danvers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been kind of, you know, it's been, it's been moved over a little, it's been kind of washed out of Danvers a bit. Um, and Danvers, I think is kind of on a path right now where they're struggling to figure out their place in being welcoming. You know, we've got 
the town has kind of got a 50-50 split of people and there are a lot of people that are really pushing for inclusivity and welcoming and other people who are not and they're fighting back and they're just the ones who are louder. That's all, you know? Sure. And so Danvers, I think is kind of struggling with that right now. But if you're looking for, um, if you need to go on a vacation or whatever to a place that's welcoming and inclusive and you will feel free to let your fleet freak flag fly, <laughs> that's hard to say. Right. Like you could walk downtown Salem wearing literally anything and no one would flinch. I absolutely love that because that is the lesson, right? To, to, to take these tragedies and this position in your past that could be so damaging and to flip it on its head and say, we are never going to repeat that. We are going to be the antithesis of what, of what happened. We're going to never let that happen again. Yeah. Yeah. And when the people try and sort of, um, fight back against those ideals of the city, they're, they're pretty quickly, um, turned down, you know, they're, they're still, they're still there certainly, but they're, I think few and far between because Salem is a really wonderful, welcoming place. So when you were growing up, you have said that you kind of lived in between the two locations, like they were blocks away between the two. So describe what, what they're like to those of us that are on the web. So, I mean, so Danvers is just a cute little suburban town, you know, it's like upper middle class. Um, it's not on the ocean. It's, it's inland. Cause it was, remember it was the farming community. Right. Um, it used to be called Salem village. So you can still see there's even stuff. Sometimes it has that name on it. Like there's a condo complex, I think that's called Salem village and things like that. Um, it's standard suburbia. There's a mall, but other than that, like, you know, right. there's not, there's not, <laughs> everybody has a bed, bath and beyond. And yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, actually I think it was kind of a big deal when they closed ours. So that might be a source of source of, yeah (laughs) but um just up the street is Salem and um it's it's fine it's where you know it's where we used to go I lived there for some time it's where I always used to go out like back in my uh going out days um when you get downtown you know you want to like park and then walk around I would say you want to go if you're listening to this and planning a trip I would say you want to find a parking garage where you can just leave your car for the day if you're planning a day trip I would not plan to like drive to places um but there's so many places to go Derby Street um and Pickering Wharf that's right on the ocean you can see um, the harbor and the beautiful boats. There might be one of those old ships there, depending on when you um, are there. Um, There's tons of amazing restaurants. There's lots of seafood if you like seafood. I'm not a big fan, but there's tons of other food, you know. Um, And I think the PEM, the museum has some fabulous exhibits and examples. And that's actually right, kind of the, the parking garage that you'd probably end up at or most likely to end up at is right there. So that'll dump you out. It's, um, there's a little mall there, India square mall. They might've changed the name of it. I'm not sure. Um, but there's, yeah, the Peabody Essex museum is right there. They have, I want to say they have an exhibit on the witch trials right now. I think so through March, I was trying to figure out how to get that. (laughs) Um, and so that little area, like where the Peabody Essex Museum is, is so fun to just walk around. And if you go in October, it'll be very busy, which is, fa- it, that's fun if you're a tourist, you know, <laughs> and not only busy with like tourists, but like, we've got tons of buskers, like you'll see, um, Jason walking down the street, probably dragging <laughs> a fake dead body behind you. Um, 
the Hocus Pocus crew will be walking oh, yeah. around. There's mm-hmm. all kinds of people dressed up. You can even get a tour and go see the like Hocus Pocus locations, the filming locations. Um, yeah. The Nathaniel Hawthorne, um, the House of Seven Gables. I used to live right across the street and I would see a little ghost girl in the uh, front yard all the time. The House of Seven Gables is beautiful and historic and that gives you kind of a good idea of what the houses used to look like back then. And that typically is the house when you look up Salem that everybody sees. It's the black house. Well, that actually is probably the witch house. The witch witch house. Yeah, the witch house. Definitely go to the witch house and definitely go to the witch museum. Those are two separate things across the street from the witch museum in the carriage house is a place called Goodnight fatties, which has the best cookies you'll probably ever have in your life. That is a must. They're open like late at night. It's great. Um, yeah, definitely do that. The witch museum. So as a kid growing up for me in the mountains near the, the, the graveyards and all those things, what were some of your favorite haunted stories like what's the what's the spookiest things you've you kind of encountered <laughs> because That's kind of a loaded question because right. you're talking to me so the spookiest <laughs> things that I encountered were often real life scenarios <laughs> actual ghosts <laughs> well I, I think the, the land itself carries so much energy and even residual energy and yeah. the idea that I mean these were traumatic times in our country's history and especially as a woman right on top of it all and i would think as an empath what you would pick up in these areas would be ridiculous so actually let me tell you a little bit about that because the salem witch trials are not the only thing that danvers is famous for um and i believe it actually is connection to the salem witch trials and i actually believe the land itself is some sort of cursed or haunted or something and so i don't know if you or any of you our listeners have heard of Danvers state hospital but it is pretty well known as being um one of the most horrific I guess, insane asylums of our time. Um, It was opened in the late 1800s and it it was, uh, so my house was basically between the Rebecca nurse house, which is where the meeting house where they did the trials now stands. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, you know, a couple blocks away from my house. Um, I've, I've had major impressions, you know, feel like just being on that land. I've spent a lot of time there and it's, I definitely get vibes. Sometimes they're peaceful and beautiful and loving. And I think it's probably Rebecca nurse or something that's making me feel that. Right. Um, other times it feels darker and it feels to me like it's more of just kind of a, a grief weight, if that makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. the darkness. Um, but then on the other side of town, and my house is kind of smack in the middle, we have the grounds of the Danvers State Hospital. Um, so it was opened in the late 1800s and it was closed, get this, 1992. So oh like, at, like not that long ago, right? right? right. I'm not even 40. And I was in, I, I want to say middle school when it closed, yeah. maybe fifth grade. Um, which like, that's crazy to me to think of it. Um, they overpacked it. It was made, you know, as a, as a home for the mentally, you know, unfit. And in the 1800s, that would be a woman that didn't want to get married or. <laughs> Correct. A woman that didn't get want to get married, a, a girl who didn't listen to her parents. Right. Also, the other thing to keep in mind is that it was housed mostly with um, people with special needs. Oh, right. Cause like, 
that's what that is. Yeah, you, then, you, right? you don't talk about it. And yeah. You, yeah. And also yes. if that carried on because throughout the 1900s, I mean, there just was no place for them. So they would stay there. The, if the parents didn't want them or couldn't handle them, that's where they went. Mm-hmm. And that's where they stayed. And the place became so overcrowded that they had um, patients up in the attic. They had this system of tunnels underground so that the nurses and the staff and the doctors could get from one building to the next. Um, and the patients were down there just in these dark cement tunnels. Um, they weren't cared for. They weren't looked after properly. They'd throw their feces. They'd have fits. A lot of them had to be put in straitjackets like 24 seven, cause otherwise they'd be violent. Mm. Um, and it was really, really horrific. And as if it actually, it's what um, Arkham Asylum is based off of. And the HP Lovecraft wrote stories about this place too. And if you can believe this, it was actually known to be the birthplace of the lobotomy. So good to know Danvers <laughs> is where they experimented on people's brains. Isn't that lovely? Lovely. Yeah. Tell me that land isn't dark. That's fascinating that they would How both does be that there. Happen? Yeah. yeah. And it's a, uh, it's a condo complex now and an apartment building. Well, that's, yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. You know, lots of residents say that like, like little things have happened, but I've, I've spoken to a lot of people. And for the most part, what I hear about in terms of ghosts there is actually beautiful women in white. And so I like to think that that's some of the nurses that are coming back and just trying, because I know that the nurses really were not responsible for all the horror that went there. And a lot of them were really upset by it too. But, um, yeah. When they closed it, I mean, there were just, <laughs> there were just people like, with, like these people had to just, some people got sent to, uh, you know, if they had relatives, they were able to go with their relatives and some people got sent to other places and some people who were deemed well enough were just sort of set free. So yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, and so I... the land was connected to the witch trials because it was owned by um, the same Hawthorne's that were the judges, the same lineage in the witch trials. And so Uh, that connection is just too, I mean, that's too synchronistic. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's something menacing on that land. I've seen things every time, you know, when I've, every time I've been there, I've had dark sensations. I've seen images. I've seen things, horrible stories. That's a whole nother podcast. episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so Nathaniel Hawthorne, he was the judge and he Nathaniel Hawthorne is the one that wrote the Scarlet Letter. Yes. So he's the author. And so um when I talk about the House of Seven Gables, that yes. was his house. Okay. He had a relative who I actually think was a couple above him. I think he's actually a descendant from John Hawthorne, who was the judge. So something with the Hawthorne family for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote about the witch trial type time period, yes. probably because of the historical connection he had to it through his family. Absolutely. I also wanted to talk about the fact that there was one gentleman that died in the witch trials. And as you've now stated, a few dogs, which I never knew about. And these yeah. were poor girls who on whatever level were, I'm guessing, just simply curious about what their caregiver was doing and and way over their heads way over their heads (laughs) they got in deep on this one they got in it was one of those yeah a a bad day that just kept getting worse um i love the idea that we have kept the story alive but we've changed it and morphed it in so many ways which happens through history to the idea that we were you know burning witches at 
right. at the stake by the hundreds. And really that didn't happen. It was much more, right. of course it happened slowly. Everything was slow back then. It was drawn out for months and months, even over a year at some point for some of them. And yeah, the trials were long and torturous. Torturous and really didn't stop until, was it the governor and his wife or the mayor's wife was oh, accused? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The governor. The governor. So I had to go all the way to the top before he was like, oh, well, maybe, maybe this is. Uh-huh. Well, get this. You know how you just spoke about the one. Okay. So there's an archetype for who and how was put to death, right? Mm -hmm. And not just in Salem, but sort of all over the United States, the archetype of the witch. Usually in the movies, especially, she's a beautiful, young, misunderstood, dark-natured loner, right? Right. right on the outskirts of town or something. And she's usually burned at the stake. Um, though though they did burn people at the stake, I think in Europe, that Europe. never happened in the witch trials. Um, when the Salem witch trials, um, all of them except one were hung by a tree um, on Gallows Hill, which um, Gallows Hill, the location, I guess, was kind of misunderstood or, or not really certain for a long time. But a few years ago, they figured out historically the exact location and they put a new memorial there. It's kind of in the back of a Walgreens parking lot, which is sad. But <laughs> they didn't know that's where it was, you know, right. and the building already existed. Like they had it wrong. So, well, so I shouldn't laugh, that. but the irony. I know it's a, it's a lovely it's a lovely little memorial, but it's not a great location. But it is what it is. Um, but so that's one of the, the misnomers. And the man actually that was put to death was Giles Corey. And he died not by hanging, but by stoning, which oh, means yeah. that he was pressed, pressed with rocks. So he laid under a board and they put heavy rocks on him and they, every single rock, they would ask him to confess. And he absolutely refused. And his dying words were more weight. Mm. Um, but here's the kicker. And I only learned this recently and I almost wish I hadn't, right? Because Giles Corey is like kind of the big legend mm -hmm. that they tell, you know, that's like a big legend. He testified against his own wife oh. who was accused and hung before him. So that's one way to get out of a marriage. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, so he wasn't this like noble, heroic man. Like they accused his wife of witchcraft and he turned on her in the blink of an eye. And then when the tables turned and it was him that was accused, he held his ground to his death. Wow. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah. Meanwhile, the governor, his wife is accused and he shuts the whole show down after 17 men and women were killed. He pardoned all the people that were still awaiting trial or in jail as well, but mm -hmm. nobody that had already been put down. And the only way they could have escaped being killed was to confess, which then Correct. would have led to being killed. Put in prison for life. Prison for life, which is even worse, essentially. Back then, yeah. Yeah, I mean, get it over for with. For these people, for sure. And the other archetype of it being a beautiful young woman, in Salem at least, was actually totally um, off. In most cases, it was an older woman, mm -hmm. particularly a widow, who owned a lot of land. Oh, and had convenient. no children. So then you, a great way to get your land. Who who ended up with the land? Um, it usually would go to the town mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. widows. Various were, places like that. 
really seen as dangerous. And I kind of think that began during the plague in some ways, because they were the ones who at that point started turning, well, they were making beer, right? Because you couldn't drink the water. So that was how we got our nutrients, right? But then once people started to figure out that they were making too much money or doing a little too well, they really became, became the archetype for witches. Nothing pisses a powerful white man off more than a woman in control. (laughs) A hundred percent. And that's why I'm not so sure about the grain theory. Yeah. Because there were elements to this that were calculated. For sure. And maybe what, you know, it was a spark. It was a spark by these girls who got busted by their uber religious dad or whatever. And then like went all dramatic teenage girl to try to get out of trouble. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like, you know, how teenage girls are like, you'll <laughs> bend the truth to try to like, it wasn't me. It was my friend. Exactly. It was her. She just told Those them. aren't mine. I'm just holding them for a friend. <laughs> Classic. I mean, that line is as old as time. Right. Yeah. So, you know, then they went all dramatic and then the adults of the town saw an opportunity and took it. Mm-hmm. And there and was already that hysteria. the hysteria that had funneled over from Europe, and it just yeah, yeah. You've and got... I mean, maybe people saw the opportunity and took it out of fear. You know what mm-hmm, I mean? Like I don't mm-hmm. think it's as easy as like they did it on purpose. I think there's mu- you know there's a lot of complicated layers to it. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, but it was you know nobody nobody was making good sound um, decisions. So interesting. I I have always wondered. Because you never hear about it happening anywhere else up and down the coast at that time. It was so centrally located. And how the hysteria, I mean, I know it spread through Europe like wildfire, but how the hysteria kind of didn't travel any further. Were there any other outlying areas that had any... Yeah, well, so this all really existed. Salem gets all the credit, but this really all happened all over the North Shore. A lot of the victims were from some of the other communities that were, you know, within, I guess, horse driving distance. (laughs) A day or two on a horse, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, So I am from a section of Massachusetts that we call the North Shore, um, which is, you know, basically from Boston up to Cape, like Cape Ann area, the coast. Uh, north of Boston. Um, and so it really kind of was all over that. And there was some stuff like my family's judges were judges in Boston. So it did some, some of it did travel down into the city and there was some kind of crossover into the city. Um, but I think one of the reasons that it didn't spread too much further is because unlike most mass hysteria incidents, um, it's not, it wasn't just like a flame that got lit and then like, panic ensued and then was extinguished. For some reason, this went on for a really, really long time. This burned slowly for a long time. And that's not what happens with most mass hysteria stuff. Right. Um, that's not how it happened with most of the other witch trials. With the other stuff in Europe, it was like they they went nuts and went uh, after and this And practically woman. door to door, let's clean out the town and wipe our hands yeah. and be done. And then, you know, yeah. Yeah, they either, you know, sort of some of them realized how crazy they were being and other ones, the problem stopped because life is cyclical and problems tend to end, you know, and so that was that. But this just went on and on and on. And so I think that's why it kind of. I do find it interesting that 
spiritualism began in relatively the same area. So mm -hmm. what is it about that area that makes it feel so, I, I almost would say that the veil is uber thin in the Northeast in some ways, because this is the same area where, and forgive me, it's the Fox sisters, right? Who heard the knocks and kind of got started with some of the early communication on a mediumistic level. Yeah, yeah. So, um, well, you know, it's funny too, and like England, and that's where a lot mm -hmm. of the um, English, Irish, Scottish, Mm -hmm. Um, so that's probably part of it, right? The ancestral traditions that have been brought over and, and passed down through time. Um, I also, to be honest with you, think that there's probably a lot of pain on this land because of what we did to the indigenous people when we got here mm -hmm. and pain yeah. leaves a dark spot. I that... would, I would completely agree with that theory growing up in, in the Midwest and, and feeling the, the land here as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it happened a lot over there. You know, that's like that. It's your ghost towns. Yeah. And your exactly. old West stuff. Right. You and, know, and Native American ruins and feeling yep. that energy on the background is so different. Yeah. So I think that's probably a big part of it, because I do think, you know, even when I've been on the land of Danvis Hospital, I, I think there's a lot of like, I can sense like a Native component to it and mm -hmm. for sure. Interesting. I it's always been interesting to me that yeah that we would have such two such huge elements come out of such a small relatively speaking small area on both ends of the spectrum you know the idea that as spiritualism continued and and grew in popularity it it was perceived as the pretty side of the negative right here we had we maybe had even some of the same elements during the witch trial you know were these right. girls hearing voices were they communicating in ways and of course that was shut down and then it comes up again <laughs> right um well it's so funny because like i've thought about that with the witch trials like what did they really experience you know what i mean maybe they really like listen i've had some spirit experiences that freaked me out that i was like whoa that was crazy right um and there was a long while in my life where i thought if i tell anybody what just happened to me they're gonna lock me up they're gonna think i'm nuts and you and i both know that some of these things are very real Right. And so who am I to say that that didn't happen or that they weren't experiences experiencing those things? Mm -hmm. Do I think they were dark, evil witches, though? These women that were put to death? No, no. Yeah, I don't think Tichuba was either. I think she was practicing her religious, her spirituality in her way that she grew up. And it may have even been something she'd done in the open for a long time. It was just at that point yeah had to stop yes um so it's hard you know it's hard to say it's hard I, I think it's interesting i don't know we got a lot of ghosts around here that want their story told i suppose and that's why there's maybe a lot of mediums in the area <laughs> yeah i do think it's interesting and you know that was sort of the birth of the nation that area too the, the population has always been just a little more condensed there and concentrated yeah. than it is here sure um well, this has been so much fun. I really enjoyed talking to you about this. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I would like to know, I always ask my guests a couple of standard questions. Okay. Um, okay. What is your favorite woo object that you own and why? Whoa. Um, my, I'm gonna go with my selenite wand. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, I have a ton of stuff. I want now, now that I said it, I feel guilty. Like I should have said my tarot cards. <laughs> <laughs> you can pick more than one. I'll allow it. <laughs> okay. I like my, I like my selenite wand um, because it, it's just a quick little reset. And I feel uh, out of all my crystals, I'm, I'm sort of crystal light. Like I'm not like obsessed with them or anything. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but I do really feel that one strongly. It feels sort of like a breath of fresh air to me. It feels very cleansing. Really good to clean and cut cords and start fresh. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, and your tarot, you pull cards for yourself a lot. And do you do st- still do readings for others as well? I do. Yeah, actually I, for the, for the first time, I actually put them by appointment. So you can do, you can book a phone or a zoom appointment to have your tarot cards read too. I used to do it so that you could only book either mediumship or just sort of like general readings with me by phone or by zoom. But, uh, and then I would do the tower readings by like pre-recorded videos. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just so much easier for me to do a live. Why, why go through all that? You know what I mean? Right. So let's just do it together. Let's just do it together. So yes, I do do that. And sometimes if you want to follow me on Instagram, sometimes I do like free little card pulls or pick a card or something. Oh, like that. fun. Yeah. I love you. That's stuff on Instagram. Okay. And this is such a silly question, but I actually, I, the more I do this question, I, I love the answers that come from it, but you've passed, you're gone. You're on the other side of the veil mm. and someone wants to talk to you from this realm. How do they sort of summon you? Oh my God. You're so funny. Coffee and donuts. Love it. Um, true crime. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me they need my help to solve a murder. And I'm there. <laughs> there. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. I do think it's interesting how many of us bring up food because I would agree with that. And I love the idea of honoring our loved ones when we eat a meal because I I truly think that's the thing that we all we sort of connect around. Like, I want a good cup of coffee, I want a good cup of chai. Like, yeah. yeah bring me, me back and- to that moment. Yes. I often, um, on holidays and stuff will like make a plate for my loved ones, Mm -hmm. um, that have passed. But when I do readings, I don't know if you feel sort of a similar experience, but I feel like a lot of spirits bring up food, like what their favorite food were. And I, I've been told before too, like, cause I've asked like, why always with the food you can't eat, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, and, and that's often where I will get my like taste or my smell. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really sort of like a sensory experience for me. And so I'm like, why, you know, you can't eat. And I think I've kind of gotten the word that like, if there's what, you know, they don't really miss anything, but if there's one thing to miss, like it's that something yeah. you can't sort of really fully experience anymore. These like you know, the human pleasures of life, the simple pleasures. And I, that's interesting. I get pipe tobacco a lot too. Like that, the scent of like a a warm vanilla tobacco or. I have been smelling um, like a vanilla sort of cigar all week. There's somebody around. (laughs) I've been smelling it all week. It's driving me nuts. I keep pulling my husband and going, do you smell that? Nope. Nope. No. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> this has been so fun, Jamie. Thank you for sharing what your knowledge and your perception is of of Salem and Danvers because I think it's easy for us to all kind of get caught up in what the pop culture idea of it is, but it's more fun to get it from 
from a local, I think. I know. And Salem, you know, Salem loves to use the witch everywhere is as a way to honor her. You know, it's a nice mm-hmm. little mascot and it's on the water tower. It's, what you know. a cool school mascot. I think I was yeah. a gold digger. <laughs> oh, really? Dan versus the Falcons. So Dan versus missed the boat on that one. I, Salem already took the witches. So <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for You're having sure me. And please, how can everyone find you and what are your current offerings? And Oh, sure. So readings. You can do mediumship readings. You could do um, general psychic readings. You can do tarot readings. I also have this new offering that's sort of like part reading, part kind of spiritual coaching um, to help you figure out, understand what your gifts are or what your purpose is, sort of where you're at on your spiritual development journey. Tap into that and see sort of um, how you can open up your own gifts more, what spirit has to say about that. Cause I really like to teach people who are sort of coming into all of this mm-hmm. and sort of help guide people through it. Cause it can be kind of a crazy time. It feels really crazy when you're first realizing this about yourself. It so. does. And like, where am I going? Who am I going to talk to? That's, that's yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's the worst part is when you feel like there's nobody that you can tell because everybody will think you're crazy. <laughs> so you can tell me. <laughs> and I will put links to all of your stuff in the show Thanks. notes. Yes. And Thanks. thank you so much for coming on. We'll do it again sometime, I'm sure. Okay. I'll talk uh, to you soon. Take care. Thanks, thanks Jamie. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. I just wanted to include a little extra fun note here at the end of the podcast to let you know that the vanilla scented pipe tobacco that Jamie had been smelling all week was actually my grandfather. And I'm not surprised this happens so often when you get two mediums together, our relatives go and visit the other person ahead of time. So I wanted to throw that in. And also Jamie's website is mediumjamieday.com. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining me today on our fun, spooky episode, and I look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Things That Make You Go Woo. You can help me out by leaving a positive rating and a review wherever you downloaded this episode. Be sure and follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Emily and Her Stars. You can also reach out via email anytime, emilyandherstars at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on Things That Make You Go Woo.